Sorry about that, Kirsty. So, Kirsty, you are actually going to be on a pilot episode of The Walking Dead. Yep, that that is that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Wires are crossed. So, um, can you? No worries. Yeah, can you tell us about this whole process of you working with this show, and how does it feel working with such a great cast? Yeah, no, I think uh, Tales of the Walking Dead, you know, comes from such an established universe. This is their new spinoff, um, and we were so lucky to be the, the premiere episode. I was one of three um, for uh, uh, the, the premiere episode called Evie and Joe with Terry Crews and Olivia Munn, and it was awesome. Nice. So working with Terry Crews, how was that? Terry Crews is the best. He is everything I think folks uh, hope him to be and more. Just being with him, you want to buy pyre. <laughs> yeah, he, he seems like a like a hoop to work with. And um, you follow him on Instagram and TikTok, and he's always having fun and dancing. Was, was he like that on set? He carries a lot of joy within him, but he's also a really wonderful actor and artist to work with and he really understood the world of the piece you know walking the walking dead world is kind of a dark world yeah and how was that world and your role was it challenging for you to give you that space or well you know um terry and i played both characters uh both our characters were preppers so we were kind of preparing for the apocalypse before the apocalypse happened so i think that that kind of preparation helped save them in the in the the moment the whole world kind of stopped. So, so I think they might be more uh, pragmatic and hopeful than you know many of us who are not preparing for the apocalypse. But also, I think what the characters learn is that you can prepare for all number of things like food, water power but you can't really prepare for loneliness having said that uh speaking of loneliness how has the pandemic affected you um and now that we're finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel oh well i was very lucky uh, to not be not have lost anybody during the pandemic but certainly folks got very sick I was in New York City for most of it, which was, you know, frontline. I, I ended up actually starting a uh, a nonprofit with a couple friends called Clear Day Project. It was intended to get uh, messages of hope to the front line. So that was, you know, something we were trying to do is just give give um, just something back. So coming out of the pandemic now, I think I'm like everybody where you know you kind of are getting your sea legs again you're you're having you're going to a party and, and you're you're feeling like am i saying the right things <laughs> it's like it, everybody feels socially kind of uh, you know fragile yeah it is a very interesting time because we just got out of this whole shelter in place world and then we're seeing people for the first time and we're like do i even look do i feel the same do i look the same like what oh yeah looking at me <laughs> Are you feeling the same way a little bit now you're seeing people in, in the flesh? Oh, yeah. I feel like this has changed us. This has changed us. And I feel like it changed me for sure. In what ways do you feel it changed you? I, I feel like I have a lot more compassion 
for how closely interlinked we all are. I also have a lot more uh, knowledge of just how, I use the word fragile again, how fragile some of our systems are and how we want to be prepared for the next kind of uh, next thing that might come our way. So I think, I think that's, I, I feel changed in that way. Do you feel like uh, we could be experiencing something like that right now with the monkeypox? I don't know if it's exactly the same kind of crisis, but, you know, I have a lot of uh, loved ones that uh, are part of the gay community. And, and also, you know, I am concerned that we're not responding quickly enough to, to these, these, uh, these crises, but we're, we're, I think we are seeing much more build out of, of government processes, trying to get information out which gives me some hope that we'll, we'll be ready. And then you mentioned some people that you know that are in the LGBT community or part of the queer community. Um, I know the CDC had mentioned that this wasn't specifically a disease that was targeted or for or by that, you know, trans or transpired by that community. They said that it was more so a disease or sort of a virus that is with, you know, skin to skin. It could be from, I guess, you know, any kind of bodily fluids, secretions, and so forth, but I'm being too graphic. So you're, you're thinking the government is being a, a little sluggish with the response time. How do you feel what's happening within Los Angeles? Because um, I just, I was able to visit Los Angeles um, recently, and normally I do reside there, but um, I've noticed the, the influx of homelessness, um, as well as people just, it, it, the energy of it doesn't feel the same. Is that the same for you or what are your thoughts? Are you asking about monkeypox or are you asking about homelessness? Um, <laughs> monkeypox and how it's affecting and the variants and how they're affecting all the because I feel like, yes, I feel like I, this is not monkeypox is not an LGBTQ uh, you know limited to that community. However, there is a long history that's not good about responding quickly enough to um, crises in that community. I live in New York City, so, you know, I'm close to people every day uh, on the trains and, you know, these these are things that we all have to think about. Um, I also think that post-pandemic, there's there have been some crises of, of the cost of living um, and also some real mental health crises that we're seeing in every city in America. Yeah. And living in New York, one thing I like about New York, um, and that's why I'm here as well. Um, that's another thing. I know I was on a, I was on a plane or flight last night that was delayed by hours and hours. So, you mm-hmm. know, uh, it was a lot of us, a lot of flights were delayed due to the storm. So um, a lot of us got in around 1 a.m. opposed to getting in at 4 p.m. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. But one thing I like about New York is that it has a resiliency and an energy and an intelligence and an abundance of uh, people who tend to feel like they're working together and intending trying to find a solution. Um, do you still, do you feel like that's the same kind of energy that you witnessed probably around the, because were you living here around the World Trade? I was not by, around the World Trade Center. No, no, I'm in, I'm in a different neighborhood okay and so um you, the neighborhood that you're in have you noticed that the community is banding together and kind of like su- supporting one another that's a, that's the new york way 
that's the New York way. We we make it. I mean, that's that's the wonder of the city is uh, um, we're here to take care of each other. Or we, we have to. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're so obsessed yeah. in close proximity. And then I noticed in your um in your bio it spoke to you working and being an actress on Broadway. Can you talk about some of those experiences? I've worked off Broadway and I've worked um internationally and in regional theater. Uh I love I love the theater. I love um uh some of my most exciting work has been in New York because you um you are working with the best some of the some of the most urgent artists uh, that are they're working right now. But I also uh, have have worked uh, at the Moscow Art Theater, which uh, was in which is in Moscow, Russia. And of course, at this moment, this is a, a very unique moment in time for artists in that area, particularly a lot of um, them are under duress and fleeing. So uh, that that is something very close to my heart is is following. Um, We've got a lot of brave people working on the ground in the arts in countries that are are not supportive of of free press, free freedom of speech. Yeah, and right now we're definitely being pushed to the limits with that going on in the let's say the war in Ukraine. It's kind of very interesting too because a lot of the authoritative news groups and cable shows. I feel like I haven't seen anything on it on the uh, on the Ukraine. Like what's going on? So I feel like that's not, you know, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of times I have to report or, or actually uh, digress or go over to the uh, the news from TikTok. <laughs> unfortunately, I feel like I learned a lot from TikTok and from some of the people who are on the ground who can who either be a soldier or a person affected by the war in the Ukraine. But I'm not I'm not getting any information from the news, which is kind of scaring me right now onto what's going on there. Um, and so you, with you having worked on Off-Broadway, have you um, been able to support any of those shows um, on Broadway or Off-Broadway? And do, and or do you have any friends who have been you know, adversely affected by what's going on right now with the pandemic and everything around the world? Oh, yeah. I mean, we need to get folks back into the theater. We've got to get... Um, uh, uh, right now, I do know many arts organizations received some pandemic funding, and that's going to come to an end. So we're going to see in the next year just a number of, like, I think, longstanding institutions struggling to make it. So we all have to come together, buy our tickets, you know, get in the seats. That's what we need to do. And speaking of seats, which, what, um, I guess, can you tell us what's one of your next projects you're working on or any other future projects you're working on or you're excited about that we should know about? Yeah, about? yeah I have a short film called Egg Party that's going to be coming online very shortly. It's a, uh, a whimsical short film, 10 minutes about fertility. It's got six 30-something women, they come together in a, a Brooklyn apartment for a not-so-sober egg-dying party, like an egg-decorating party. And each woman 
gets like a portrait, like a whimsical portrait of her and her and her egg and that she's decorating and what her egg is doing. So for an example, like one woman's egg is on the back burner and the other woman's egg, she's she's a, it's on ice. And then what we discover is that uh, a group of these group of friends have actually come together to be with their friend who is um, uh, challenged through miscarriage and infertility. So in a sense, uh, we we decided to stop the festival run because of the urgency of what's happening with women in the United States. Uh, I'm gravely concerned about maternal health and being this. So we have decided to place it online to share as as a warm hug to uh, the women ar- uh, around us and um, to say we got you. Yeah. Um... That's, that's unbelievable. It's such a great, warm hug. Like you said, the film, it sounds so cozy and it's adorable. And it won some audience awards too, right? Yep, it did. And also won the Panavision Filmmaker Award, uh, which is my first directing gig, which I was pretty darn proud of. Um, but mostly it's how our audiences have responded because this is a tricky uh, needle to to thread. <laughs> is that how you say that? Because uh, it's a very difficult and emotional topic that we've used comedy with. Uh, so that that it, I think what's been the most moving is is it being a conversation starter for more women than I realize have had these experiences. More families, more families. And so when you heard about the overturning of the Roe versus Wade. Can you elaborate on how that made you feel and why you were kind of, you, you felt that way? You know, oddly, I've been taking courses at uh, graduate level courses. And two semesters ago, I had taken a course on the Supreme Court and I had written my paper on Roe versus Wade. <laughs> so I was a little bit more familiar than a lot of people on the history of the Supreme Court the history of Roe and what a complicated decision that was. I was dismayed that this decision came down, but I wasn't surprised. Those that have been watching this fight closely, this was a possibility. I think our next steps are critical, where states must rush to their you know, the lawmakers of states must rush to protect the women uh, of their states. And we will continue to fight for the, the right to choose because it's, it's, it's broader than the abortion question. It's about maternal health and it's about um, pro-natalist policies, meaning I'm pro-governmental policies that are going to make it really obvious for a woman or her family to say yes it's a good time to have a child because there's all of these supports in place i think the pandemic showed us how fragile those child care you know that options are that working parents don't have access to these kind of things so i'm i'm saying let's rethink what we're trying to do here. If we are interested in family health, that's where the law steps in. If we're worried about health, uh, women's health, that's a that's a public health policy. Uh, and so that these this this criminalization 
is not is not going to solve what I think people want to solve. Am I being clear? Yeah, you are. And I was going to ask you if you can expound on some of the complications, because a lot of young people or people in general, as of myself, the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court case and, and the reversal of it, we understand what it was and what it meant back then. But what does it mean now? And how does that really affect women right now? Because I think a lot yes. of people think about the X, Y, and Z. So when you spoke of the complications, if you can expound on that. that yes. So, yeah, no, I'm happy to. I wrote a paper on it. <laughs> Roe versus Wade was not a perfect decision. Roe versus Wade was a political decision, a liberal political decision that uh, waded into very complicated waters. It spoke of, when we speak of abortion, it is a huge question of moral, medical, spiritual. It's it, these queries. No one can agree. Truly, no one can agree when when two citizens begin. There's you know religious. There's certain religious leaders that come forward and say this is what we believe. Medical leaders have come forward and they you know they look at different pieces and then you know there's moral uh, philosophers and and just you know people in general like nobody can agree and so how do you make a piece of legislation about that Roe attempted it Roe said okay we don't really know but we're going to assume that after three months a woman's right to choose is is basically a tiny little use of something called the 14th Amendment, the due process clause. And it's interpreted as the right to privacy, saying you have the right to privacy. But a pregnant woman is a very complicated legal person because when is that two citizens? We can't agree. So Roe attempted to clarify this. And so they said at 12 weeks, the federal government, the, the, a woman's um, 14th right, 14th Amendment rights basically can go to, through, has the right to choose, the right to privacy through 12 weeks of a pregnancy. And then at 12 weeks, the federal government steps back and says, that's it. That's when the Constitution, that's our interpretation. Now the states can take it from here. And so what you saw then is in our, you know, how we grew up was that each state had varying different levels of, of support for women. You know, some really stuck to that 12 weeks and said, you know, no more. And then some are more, you know, broad. So what we really need now, because it wasn't really protecting what we need, which is which is an equal rights amendment in the in the Constitution of the United States. Now that's that's a long history, and I think we're all aware how difficult it is to change an amendment in our Constitution. But currently, we have a very a very conservative court, and this has happened over the history of the court: is that things have gone liberal, things have gone conservative. This is a very conservative court. I think more than we've ever had before, and they interpret our legal document, which is the Constitution of the, of the United States, in a very specific way. And so what you saw from the justices is, or the, 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 the majority of the justices at this moment, is they say, this is not written, this right is not written into the Constitution. And so I want an equal rights amendment that is so clear that no matter what the makeup of the court, 
the rights for women, the rights for the LGBTQ community, um, and that takes in any kind of, um, you know, it's equal rights amendment. That's that's what our next step is. It will be a long fight, though. And with this new overturn, with this overturn of the decision, how do you think this is going to affect a lot of the marginalized women in their in their communities? This is absolutely who we must protect. This is those it's it's the marginalized communities of of women that can't have they don't have the resources to get across state lines or don't have the resources to truly understand what they have available to them and again i'm not i'm saying pro-natalist policies because abortion again is a big topic that i'm happy to sit with a pro-life person and let's talk it out but what we're talking now is about maternal health because there will be crises in any pregnancy whether it is somebody trying to terminate a pregnancy or someone who is just pregnant that is going to require care and these laws, and it's already in place, and this has already happened in a small amount of time, these marginalized communities have fallen through the cracks and people may die. If, you know, people that love these women, their families, they have no power to help them. And that, and these doctors that want to help cannot and so that's that's where we really need to like make this a public health issue and if and if you want to get numbers down of if you want to get abortion numbers down there are so many other ways to get that goal accomplished and what are those ways that you feel like um people would think there are right what ways would there be sure. numbers down i mean there, there's so much data already available here so I don't I don't want to overstep anybody that's done good data here but for my money education is critical a lot of women still to this day are receiving proper education access to birth control um, access to resources that if you are you know in a in an abusive situation we want women and children to be able to be cared for um, and also the government at this moment, like I said, pro-natalist policies, making a world where a parent feels like this is possible. I could have my job, have a child, that child has a future here. I, I want, those are the kind of policies I want to see. Well, hopefully those policies will come into effect because like you said, so many women, <laughs> so many people in general are being affected by this. I mean, it's just a very sticky situation because you really have to go into it and you have to do research. And, and like you said, um, you wrote a paper on it, so you have a better understanding to, than a lot of people. But some of us, we we you know we just scratched the, the surface of what's going on, and it seems like you know just scratching the surface is like isn't isn't this, isn't this this person's or this human's right to be able to do what they want with their body? And I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Then there's other people that feel that you know, like you said, these are like little these fetuses are people they're humans and you don't want to abandon them or you know and, um, for whatever reason um, so it's, it's a you very were putting into words why this is such a complicated issue right and and yet we have been on the planet for a handful of thousands of years so I think we have, and, and human behavior women are going to end their pregnancies for so many reasons. And I cannot judge those reasons. They, it, and I, I just want to make, make sure 
people are are safe. And, you know, if there were pronatalist policies, you might see women make different choices. But women are not dumb. And oftentimes they're the ones shouldered with the burden of a child for the next 18 to 20 years. I mean, I sat with some male friends and I said, in what world do you think tomorrow you would take a hormonal birth control? You. <laughs> would you ever in your life to to stop getting a woman pregnant would you would you take a hormonal birth control and every man i've ever encountered was like oh never never we are so willing to constantly put this burden on women to say how can we you know we can how can we stop this problem i if this plays out the way we think it i mean one option might be men are going to have to start stepping forward if they you know if they father in a way that they might never ever had before which i think you'll very quickly see laws change <laughs> right because uh yeah we already know about that situation oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's very that's, that's very true um <laughs> hopefully we won't get to, we won't get to that point we hopefully we'll come, yeah. to, we'll come to an agreement and understand that this is something that should be up to an individual. Particularly, I've, I, I was researching or saw some information about certain laws in certain states like Texas, where it's like if a woman was, is this true? I don't know if it's true or how true it is. But they're saying if a, if a woman was, you know, um, raped, so to speak, and they, they, would, they would have to have the baby of the person that was that, is, did I read that right? So I, don't, I don't know exactly Texas's policies. They've shifted a little bit all over, but the answer is yes. A number of these conservative states have put in like absolute abortion bans, regardless of reason or consequence. Or, I mean, you saw that firsthand, I think, at the very beginning of this crisis, where I think a young girl was raped and couldn't get proper care. And, you know, so many, so many people came in an emotional way, not believing her, not, and then sure enough, the police came forward and was like, oh, yeah, no, that's true. She was raped. And so, you know, at that moment, oh God, it's it's very scary. And you use the word marginalized communities, and that that is what I worry about at night the most is yeah. the amount of the amount of fear that women and families really are encountering. Um, but also, what people do in that kind of fear means that they might make choices that they wouldn't make. And that's where we're, we're, we are going backwards in time, where we're going to see a black market of this stuff. And that's not going to get what they want, which is lower abortion rate. If that's what you want, let's talk about that. Like what policies actually achieve that? Criminalization never works. Yeah, scaring somebody, trying to scare someone by using a fear tactic, and they're already scared of being in a situation because it's life changing. It's kind of like, eh, I don't know if that's the best the best policy in place. But then again, I'm not a woman and I don't have yeah. to. <laughs> but you're in this world and you also care that the children that come onto into this planet have the supports that they need. Um, and even if a woman decides adoption is a great option, you know, I want those, I want those spaces available. But again, we go back to that what is what is what are the policies that make it a good time to to to, to have a family? <laughs>
why, especially right now, with everything going on, it's a very, yeah. I mean, these kind of, I mean, I understand, you know, these things can't be pushed off or held off, but we have a lot going on in America alone. And so for us to be really fixated on this policy when there's so many other things that we can, there's so many other rabbit holes we can go down, including- Oh, you are saying it so right. Why this shi- why this shiny object? Why? Why why this shiny object? Why why get your teeth into this? I I don't know. We have so we have a pandemic, we have climate, we you know there are things that require all of our attention. Yeah, we have and you know like the gun control and the school shootings, America is being taunted right now so you know so to speak. Um, overseas because that's how they describe us you know you go to school in America to get you know gunned down I mean that's what a lot of people there's a, there's a lot of like memes on the internet talking about it um, unfortunately because we're just no, we're known as a country where you go to school and somebody could pull out a gun and you know you yeah. might not survive that class and and we're seeing trends now that international students have decided not to choose the United States as a as the ultimate place to study. You know, there was for so long, we have the best universities in the world, but if you're seeing, you know, students say, I, I don't feel safe. We're, <laughs> we're losing, losing out truly on, on, you know, some of the great minds of the globe coming to study with us. I, I have young, you know, I have some Russian, some Russian friends that are trying to flee Russia now, and they said, "Well, we'd like to come to New York, but I don't want to put my son in the school system because I don't know if they'll be safe." Oh my gosh! Right, and it's kind of like you save the fetus, but then the fetus goes to school, and unfortunately, something happens in that setting that could, you know, be traumatizing to that individual or be deadly. So it's kind of yeah. like. Why are we yeah. even talking about something that you're gonna save? You're gonna save this fetus; it becomes a human, and then they go to they go to a school with guns. Or it's, you know, we we got yeah, it's a, it's some complicated stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, are, is there anything else that we didn't touch on today that you would like to speak about? Well, we really went in. I will say, we went in. <laughs> I really love talking well, we to you to, about we, this. We stuff. had to because you know you did such a you know the, the egg party is such a um, it's, it's, it seems cute at first, but then you look at it or you you know listening to you describe it and seeing all the yeah. awards it's been getting. So it was something we had to really target and jump into because I'm thinking like, wow, we can't just glance over the egg party. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I mean, Tales of the Walking Dead is awesome. Everybody (laughs) should go see it. Everybody should go see it. I hope um, when Egg Party is available, which will be very, very soon, share it with someone who needs some comfort. That's that's the whole point. That's all we want for it. And um, and then I've got some other film and TV stuff coming up, which will be super fun. Um, HBO's Perry Mason which will be great and a couple films in the pipeline so we'll talk again about them cool and i love i love you i love your chair by the way <laughs> oh thank you this is i'm i'm literally at my parents house oh all right <laughs> yeah that's so yeah cool. that is so cool yeah, I, was, yeah. I, was, I was trying to read your books i saw something about spanish and i saw something oh, about i know i know <laughs> no i know, spanish I know. Right like... your head. <laughs> yeah well, that's yeah cool. i i did try to yeah. Yeah, so we are big readers, but my parents especially, and uh, but I'm home visiting. So, but normally I'm in New York. So, but I love your background, and uh, 
that's that's so dope well thank you so it was a pleasure speaking <laughs> to you Kirstie. um hopefully we'll have yes, more be well. we can talk about some of your other projects and we can keep following um the clear day right oh yeah that hopefully has come to a, a, a peaceful conclusion right now but you know what now we're on to some other issues that we'll we'll put in more work to try to solve well great so I look yeah. forward to speaking to you about those things, those issues yeah. in the near future. But and I'm sorry you got stuck stuck on the planes for so long. That's that's very 2022. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <It's evolving. laughs> okay, rest, coffee, be safe. Okay, talk soon. Talk soon. Bye-bye.